This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 666 at portlanddistro.com for 15% off on all purchases. Greetings, everyone. It's time for another episode of Everything Went Black. Before we get started, I just want to thank RF, our brand new patron on the Patreon list. Cheers, RF, and thanks for joining the squad. Every now and then, there's an episode that I really look forward to, and uh, this is one of them. It's always a lot of fun talking to Eugene S. Robinson, and um, yeah, definitely great to have him back on the show. Um, If you're not familiar with him, go back and listen to some of the older episodes we've done together. Eugene is currently the frontman of Oxbow, and he's also in a band I just found out that he's in called Bunwell, which is awesome. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about that. Additionally, Eugene is a published author and journalist. You can find his work in Decibel, GQ, Grappling Magazine. His two books, A Long, Slow Screw, and The Fight Book, are highly recommended, especially The Fight Book, one of my favorite works about getting punched in the face and punching other people in the face. So here we go, Eugene Robinson. Eugene, great to hear from you, man. Hey, it's great great to be heard from. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's weird. I'm sure you have this dichotomy as well, where, you know, the people that you know who train have all been pretty hale and healthy, but the people that you know from music have not been hanging in there, man. So I think I've got 20, at last count, it was about 27 known associates who have succumbed uh in the past you know 20 months so yeah it's good to be heard from have you're uh you stayed healthy throughout a lot all this too right yeah well, i got something man but it wasn't it wasn't covid i got uh some weird gastrointestinal thing which uh nobody could figure out which you know i was doing okay until like january and then it just really fucked me over and then through a little bit of uh, sleuthing um, and almost being murdered by the woman who claimed that she was a Rolling Stones doctor, I figured out that it was my ingestion of, uh, you know, I've been a pescatarian since uh, 2007. Right. But it was my ingestion of Impossible Burger or Beyond Burger or these fake fucking things made in Redwood City, California, that was actually just destroying my insides. Which if I'd read, you know, it seems like that's that, that's one of the things it does, you know. Um, of course, uh, my wife's claim is that I just ate too much of it. But, you know, I could eat 10 pounds of red meat right now and it wouldn't have had that effect. So uh, to hell with uh, Impossible Burgers, Beyond Burgers, you know. I've, uh, I've always been suspicious of those things, man. Like I saw them and I was like, I don't know, something doesn't add up with this uh, this trip here, you know. You know, my native paranoia and distrust, I, I would have thought it kicked in there, but it just, it was like the first, like I've gone to veggie burger, it was the first thing that was like, ah, man, this is actually almost like the real thing. And then it was like, uh, I, you know, it should have given me pause that was made in Redwood City by by, <laughs> by, by by internet guys, but it just didn't, you know? So, um, yeah, it, and it, it, it was weird. I was like, I was eating it. Go, man, my guts are just rotten. Something's going on. <laughs> I was just kept eating. I just didn't couldn't figure out. I hadn't made the connection until months later, but it was horrifying. Horrifying. And I lost. I went from when uh, you know, shut down with jujitsu, I was probably about two, I don't know, two thirty, and then I dropped down to like one eighty six. One eighty six from two thirty. Yeah. Wow. And and in then after I came back. Um, it took me right now. I'm I'm about uh, I think I'm two two twenty two twenty seven. So I'm I'm back. I got I got the weight back, but it still took fourteen months out of my life. You know, with no training. I mean, because I was doing kettlebells and all that stuff in the driveway, keeping in pretty good shape, running, sprinting up hills. But in January, it all <laughs> exploded in the ass, so to speak. So, well, I'm glad to, glad to hear that you're feeling better, man. That's good. You know. Yep. Yeah. 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 So I, I listened to your show, uh, and I, as a result of that, I'm kind of a Johnny Come Lately to Bunuel. Mm-hmm. I did not know that you had this other outfit that you were working with, 
I'm mm. only am familiar with Oxbow and Whipping Boy, and Whipping Boy being the band from way back in the day that you played, uh, you sang in, and uh, mm. Oxbow, the more, even though there's a huge, rich history behind Oxbow, it's a current band, you know, so yep. uh, so the, the Bunuel stuff, I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta investigate this, and uh, yep. so I, I'm, I'm new, so I, I need to know more about how you got involved with this, this new record, the controversy about the uh, artwork and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, you know, the thing, it's weird, you know, you, know, you tour and then you fall in love with different places over the course of time, you know, like, man, I, Japan, playing Japan was so great. I could, I could see myself moving here in the future. And then you go back a few more times, you're like, yeah, fuck this. And then, you know, you go through different places and in the same way that you might fall in love with a place, places fall in love with you. Like there was a time when, you know, Germany and Oxbow were like, you know, we were to like like cold on ice. We were together, and then they just the musical. You know, it's usually about it takes about four or five years to molt musical styles, and it just molted. And you know, people are techno, and but um, Italy and France have always been a, a weird place where you, you know I think both a sense of history and a sense of predestination, right? The, so the past and the future. And there was a guy there who had played with us, Pierre. Pier Paolo Capovia in a band called One Dimensional Man opened for us in Rome and I completely forgotten about it right and we play a show in Milan and the audiences are pretty consistently the same number of people and this guy just talking through the whole show and I'm like I'm, I'm gonna murder him like, like <laughs> murder him, right and this but then he's like quiet at the right point so I'm like okay well maybe not murder him so then uh, the show ends and he comes up to me he comes up with some woman and they like start talking to me and he's like, listen, uh, I've, I opened for you in Rome. Uh, I said, I don't remember. He goes, I'd like to email you about a few things. And I was like, sure, go ahead. And he, he sent me some one dimensional man stuff, which is really phenomenal. And he says, I'd like you to sing this song called, uh, this hungry beast. Um, and there was a catch, you know, uh, I followed Lydia's example started maybe about 20 years ago, which I don't really, she told me, and I go, hey, that's a good idea. I don't really, I'm not an actor, right? So you don't give me a script. Like, I don't sing your lyrics, right? If you want me to sing, I'll, I'll write lyrics. Right. And, and he said, but no, 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 I have, a, I have a poet. And this guy, he, so, and this guy's a published, published poet. And I was like, all right, I'll be an actor on this one. And I'll read this guy's lyrics. And the song just came out really well. And he said, hey, listen, I have an idea. I'd like to do something. He was very specific about what he wanted to do. And he referenced like Big Black, you know, a lot of AMRAP bands. And I wasn't entertained by the prospect, except I would always listen to that stuff. And, and I was a big fan of it. And there was there was a kind of knowing, sardonic kind of distance thing that was very much part of, say, an Albini vocal, right? Right. But, but then that became, that became, other people started doing it. And it was not nearly as interesting. So you had the same kind of musical attack, which I really loved, that kind of bass-heavy thing happening. But everybody was doing Albini, and it worked for Albini, but I don't want to hear 10 Albinis. And I was like, if they only, if they only, and so finally somebody was presenting me with an opportunity where I could take that if they only and do the thing that I wish they would do, right? Which is like, take that kind of style of music, you know, mid-90s, and, 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 but then sing it with some sort of, a basis in real feeling and, you know, answering the dictates of your soul, something real, right? And instead of this, you know, distancing thing. And so that's, I go, ah, this is cool. It'll be fun to do. And that was the start of, um, of Bunuel. I think they, they wanted to name the band Los Olvidados. And I was like, yeah, no, we can't do that. <laughs> There's, I'm friends with the guy who was in Los Olvidados. So, you know, it was all, Hard, hardcore band from San Jose. We absolutely cannot do this. But why don't we just call it after the guy who directed it? Call it Bunuel. And they're like, ah, oh, perfect. So uh, I actually was going to ask about that because Bunuel's Spanish, right? The uh, filmmaker. He's Spanish. Yeah, yeah he's Spanish. And, he, and these guys are Italians, right? And they're Italians, yeah. yeah. But the, I mean, from the Exterminating Angel to Belle de Jour, yeah, the guy's done a, a lot of great, great movies. So, and of course, was you know, <laughs> set out initially to be, um, uh, you know controversial with the whole eye slicing thing so uh, i mean it, it worked for me because i also wanted to distinguish it from what was happening with oxbow right where i mean in very practical terms in my mind oxbow is more like uh, uh oxbow is more like a, a documentary 
Uh, I mean, it's he, he, there's a one-to-one correlation. Since it started out as a suicide note for me anyway with Fuckfest, there was a one-to-one correlation between what's happening lyrically and what was happening with me, you know, in reality, right? So, but with with uh, Bunuel, I go, ah, this is more like a film. Um, and uh, with the same sort of latitude and the same sort of angle of attack, except, except, look, if you play, I always look at these things as conversations, right? And if you listen to music over time, you remember the music of, of your teens when it was made by teenagers. There was a lot of, I mean, if you remember the sticker on the Black Flag record said from the executive at uh, Unicorn said, uh, this is, a, as a parent, I find this to be a very anti-parent <laughs> record. Yeah. Right. So so this was a conversation between, you know, between people who had come of age and their parents. And you, I know from personal, you know, personal knowing these guys personally that, you know, Rollins had a problem with his father. They again had his parents were wonderful, but he initially had problems with his parents. And so, you know, it makes sense. That's that conversation. That's the conversation you have when you're 20, maybe. But, you know, the kind of if you're maintaining this kind of angsty angle of attack, you're either working on shtick. Or, or you just haven't gotten your shit together, right? So, but I go, but there's something else that's happening inside me now that is not necessarily part of the Oxbow documentary. And, and, and at the same time that I'm getting better in terms of the older issues, they're new issues. And, and I got to tell you, man, that the kind of agita that I feel you know, as a result of moving into the latter portion of my fucking life is is oceans deeper than what I'm feeling, than what I was feeling, you know, as a 19-year-old. <laughs> oh, dude, I can totally relate to that. I'm, all, I'm only a few years younger than you, man, and it's like yeah. I already can see, like, the Grim Reaper, you know. I can, yeah. I can hear the flutter of his cloak, you know, in the wind, you know what I mean? And you start thinking about the finality and the in, the finite nature of life, you know. Well, I mean, this the, in this last year, I started to focus this shit in a really interesting way because nobody expected. If you were to tell me that I was going to lose 27 associates in the space of 20 months, I'd go, you're out of your mind. You know, we all, if we came from a hardcore background, you know, we've lost a fair number of people to, to drugs, to, you know, people getting whatever, disease, getting hit. Kenny from Urban Waste got hit, was riding his fucking bicycle after years struggling with a heroin addiction, got his shit together, was riding his bike, boom, hit by a car, dead, right? So, um, but it, this last 20 months has been really weird and it never dawned on me. Yeah, okay, I was dealing with the fact that I am mortal, that there's finitude, you know, that I'm will end at some point but you know i never really thought about people who i really know and like they like they might die first yeah. <laughs> you know? i gotta deal with that what like again like I, again and again like everybody you ever knew or liked again and again so um it's and then if you add kids into the, into the equation oh my god so it's been you could bring that kind of i mean like you know Bunuel for me is like the id <laughs> I mean and and that should be really aggressively obvious you know uh, whereas you know Oxbow is me presenting you know I mean the, the Oxbow song cycle ends with this next record Love's Holiday and you know we've all talked about it that lyrically you know, we just have I, I'm interested in doing different things with Oxbow and all of Oxbow sort of concurs so but the song cycle starts with Fuckfest ends with Love's Holiday where we go from there was anybody's guess, but with Bunuel, it was like, yeah, I, I still got this adjective lurking. I mean, clearly, I never would have had it unless it was part of the genetic equation, but now I got to do something with it. I can't make believe it doesn't exist. So that's the id. Oxbow's a super ego, and it totally made sense for me to do. <laughs> you know? well, just just to add to something you said earlier about, um, well, with both bands, with Bunuel and Oxbow, uh, you know, there's definitely a... Um, you know, that feel of what is quote unquote noise rock, which is a term yeah. that I really, really despise actually. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, for the, for the, the, uh, journalists out there, that's the term they use to describe this type of music. Uh, mm-hmm. how, however, it's not, you got, both bands are not just bands doing the Jesus lizard and Steve Albini, which is, I think a lot of the practitioners of that style are, are yeah. guilty of that, you know, and yeah. there's, there's more levels, and like you were saying, Oxbow is a documentary, and Bunuel is more of a narrative. And that's the sense I get. I mean, I've only listened to this recent record, Killers Like Us. I don't know. Mm. I'm not familiar with the other material. Mm. So is there 
it does have this kind of narrative quality to it. So is there a storyline behind this record or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, there is. And um, all of these records have been have been created and performed. Uh, a Resting Place for Strangers, An Easy Way Out, and Now Killers Like Us have been performed over the last decade or recorded and, and over the last decade you know my life has been in a really interesting place that you maybe got a slight inkling of if you read the new york times or cnn business yeah. or- <laughs> well actually uh before we get into that um you know maybe, maybe just give like a, a little blurb about that because I, I i know just from listening you know to to your podcast what was going on and you were very candid about these things once you were able to talk about them so just get you know just get a little factoid for everyone who's maybe not familiar with that well i'll just i'll, I'll back into it and i'll back into it by saying it all came to light when it was revealed that the chief operating officer of the company where i'd worked for almost a decade um disguised himself as a youtube executive in a financing 40 million dollar financing call with goldman sachs and that brought down the house of cards in october of 2021 and uh there are now sec investigations irs investigations because apparently there was a misappropriation of ppp funds uh they weren't supposed to lay people off or 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 reduce salaries both of which they did and now are trying to explain to the government what what happened to the seven million dollars they took which nobody can seem to find so there's irs the sec securities exchange commission for fraud and then department of justice investigations that have been launched into the place where i spent like almost 10 years that was headed by probably um one of well, it's clearly hands down the worst boss I'd ever had, uh, Carlos Watson, who was a former uh, Goldman Sachs guy himself, McKinsey, Harvard, Stanford guy, who was also uh, who was also a MSNBC uh, MSNBC news anchor for a period of time, and has won Emmys, Emmys, and so forth. So, um, it, it's it, <laughs> and it's like I said in the first piece I wrote about it for my Substack. You know, anybody who knows me, this was like, you know what it was like? It was like the scene in Quadrophenia where the the guy, the guy peeps that the, the face is hauling people's bags as a, as, as a, uh, as a bellboy, you know, it, uh, it was in a certain degree, I realized it was necessary. I'm not a masochist by, by nature, but I, I, I think I had a lot to to prove was it like you're not gonna you're not gonna try as you might you will not best be in this regard and uh indeed it seems to be that i've outlasted him so uh but it was at a great cost but i've also was going through a divorce and you know i got remarried and then the woman i married had you know immigration problems so i was not in a position to make as an elderly gentleman make a lot of professional moves that were fast so i was locked into this death spiral with this guy fortunately you know they fired me in uh in june and then their whole world exploded uh september october so and now of course in nbc universal with the new york times is making a documentary of which they they've got me involved and uh, matt by who used to be at the new york times has made a couple of feature films and said it's going to make a feature film which apparently the, the working title is the same title i used for my sub stack which makes me very happy which was uh, uh, aussie rules the house negro always gets it in the end <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's bored quite a lot of food for me and apparently i even i guess i'm supposed to be on tmz tomorrow i don't know what they won't tell me about what which is kind of ominous it feels like a trap but i'm glad to walk into it <laughs> I, I would that would be kind of nerve-wracking i think to be like yeah we want you to, you know it's like it's like that scene in in goodfellas when uh the robert de niro is trying to direct karen down the alleyway to get some yeah. new, new coats you know it's hey. like, oh, no, just go down the corner down there you oh, know. Right, right right in there right well <laughs> hey, let, let me tell you i see a guy lurking in the bushes in front of my house right now my house as as befitting a great paranoid is set up with multiple lines of defense so it's not like the guy could get close but i can see him he can't really see me and i was like well you know the concierge is supposed to be picking up my car for servicing so maybe it's he doesn't look like the kind of cat they sent out to pick up the car but whatever so i kind of go out 
turns out he's a lawyer. He, he tells me his name very quickly, won't give me a business card, says, I, I have a few questions for you. Um, and he starts talking about financial improprieties, misappropriation of funds. If I knew, had any idea where the $83 million went. And, oh, uh, and I was like, uh, who are you working for? He says, I can't tell you that. And I said, well, here's the name of my lawyer. I suggest you talk to him. And um, and well, I think we're done here. And he's like, he told me his name right as he was leaving. Because I'll tell you this. And he, and he told me his name very quickly. I think he counted on the fact that I wouldn't have remembered his first name. So he told me his last name. And I found him online. And he's a former Justice Department guy who now has gone out on his own, had been at the FBI. It's like, man, this has been a crazy time. So I've scratched a bit of that, a bit of that for, for all three of these records, you know. So... <laughs> So this guy was just outside your house. He didn't, I mean, typically in the limited amount of legal uh, things I've been involved with, they usually contact you in writing about things like that's this. That's what I thought, man. That's what I, <laughs> that's what it was really fucking, I wanted to tell the guy, you're lucky I didn't shoot you, you know, but I, I don't didn't make, need to make with the threats. I mean, I saw him. I could have easily avoided him. I went out to, to approach him. So yeah, I've never bought a house that had a, had a front door on on the street you know yeah. <laughs> i just that's always made me uneasy like you gotta you gotta get by a gate and another gate and and then you know and then even then i can see you before you can see me so and this the house was purchased purposely because of the defensive capabilities you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so killers like us that even that title actually could be read a couple of different ways <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and knowing, I, knowing this yeah. backstory I, i'm interested like what was your actual intention on that um well you know at one point at one point um i was i, don't know, I was just talking about and um and I, I some of this may have leaked onto onto uh the show stomper or maybe it was even knuckle up but you know i've maintained an association with some people that most people think are really horrible people and in some cases, they have been really horrible people. But the phrase that comes up and that, you know, my friends at jujitsu kind of mockingly at now return to me is that, hey, he was always nice to me. <laughs> you know? I mean, Charles Madsen was always nice to me, frankly. You know, I think got kind of chippy with the family when we were, when we were in business together. But Manson himself was always nice to me. So was uh, Anton LaVey and, and, you know. Kevin Weeks, the Boston Irish Mafia guy who worked with, uh, you know, Jimmy Whitey Bulger. These people were all really nice to me, you know. So, I, you know, I know a bunch of murders. It's, uh, what can I say? I don't know. They were nice to me. So, um, <laughs> so that I was like, yeah, you know, killers, killer, killers like us. <laughs> and then and I go, well, why? Why? You know, and then maybe it's a case of like seeking like you know that uh you know killers like us because killers like us <laughs> right? you know and somebody actually asked me in an interview it was great so and it was a european publication this is like last week the guy said have you ever killed anybody <laughs> right? right which is a funny question to ask but not out out, out of, totally out, out insane what would be insane if I were to answer it in any other way that, that I did, which is to say, as far as I know, no. <laughs> which if I, if I were on the other side, I would say, well, what does that mean? That's an easy question. So yes or no. What do you mean as far as you know? But he did, he did not ask and I did not offer. So. Well, what, what kind of, what was his, uh, you know, intent on asking this question? You know what I mean? Cause it's like, that's kind of, that is a fucked up thing to ask someone. And it's like, you know, I the, some of the guys at the gym are vets that I, that I train at. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, yeah. you know, you get to know these people, then you you get to talk to them about some of their experiences, and uh, mm. and then you realize, and like, you're sparring with this guy. And I'm like, this guy's like taking human life before, man. You know? And it's yep. like, yeah, it's I don't want to talk to him about that, man. You know, that's his own <laughs> thing, unless he wants to tell me about it. You know? That's right. And and that's where I go. That's where I go with it. If the guy brings it up, my mother, who was like a therapist, told me, she said, you know, somebody brings something up, it means they want to talk about it again. And I had a guy, a Max Moore, who was a Navy Corps man who uh, embedded himself several times in the Gulf. And he was, you know, I did a, a Aussie Confidential on the guy. And he, uh, 
he goes, yeah, I have PTSD. And I go, great. He brought it up. We're talking about it. Because I hear people talk about PTSD all the time. Like, what, is, what does it mean? And he said, you know, in my instance, it had nothing to do. I was under fire. I shot back, shot people, killed people. And my PTSD didn't have anything to do with that. It had to do with my rotation. I go, what do you mean your rotation? He goes, one week out of the month, they rotated me to a hospital in Germany so I could help out there. And then they would rotate me back to the battlefield. I, I loved the battlefield. Well, there's one guy that he was dealing with in Germany, and the guy had had his hands blown off, his genitalia blown off, and his eyes blown out. I mean, he was trying to take apart a bomb and it went off. Right. So um, and so they had he had bandages on his eyes and uh, they had the painkiller that they had to give him was an amnesiac as well. So every day this guy would wake up screaming. He would go to tear the bandages off his eyes, couldn't tear the bandages off his eyes because he had no hands and he had no eyes. And then he would have to calm this guy down and explain to the guy what had happened. And then he would tell the guy, and you have no genitalia. And the guy would be like, wow, man, that kind of sucks. And he was like, yeah. And then the guy would make a joke about it and, you know, be fine about it for the rest of the day. And then he'd go to sleep and he'd wake up the next day and the same thing repeat, would repeat again. And he goes, that's what gave him PTSD. He goes, if I, and, but then what got him through it was like, if I could have a fraction of the strength that this guy had, you know, uh, I, I shouldn't be feeling this bad. But of course he was, you know. Um, that, that That's probably the most horrific thing I think I've ever heard, actually, is, is yeah, that, that story. Yeah, man. I, 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 uh, I I would have figured out some way to you know I, I love I love living after my initial fuckfest burst of uh, self pity uh, I, I love I love living but I don't know that I would love living. in fact being sick with this uh, GI thing was the first time I kind of understood like man if my future is a bunch of this forever I can't I can't I can't, I, I no not even I can't I will not you know right so I. I understood finally for the first time, but that this guy is still alive somewhere and hanging in there. More power to him, man. Not me. Yeah, you know, I I've thought about death quite a bit over the last several months, just because, like, you know, I lost someone very, very close to me in the last mm -hmm. uh, six months, and uh, that idea of like I I don't particularly fear death myself or my my own death, but I mm -hmm. think about other people's suffering and losing them. Even losing my cat like that yeah, yeah. really, really freaks me out at times, you know, and, yeah. and that's that's the kind of thing that erodes your sanity away and like killed your resolve, I think, at times. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, 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 man. <laughs> and and uh, and of course, you know, there's always an assumption in, in my case that being a parent that, uh, you know, that you will predecease your kids. And I was like, man, I can't I can't I can't even think about the the other portion of that not happening right yeah so it's it's this is it's, it's a heavy deal all around all around man all around so so the cover of uh killers like us um <laughs> we have a revolver and some bullets uh-huh and you indicated on show stomper your podcast that i that i listen to you on a weekly basis that the, you got some backlash as a result of this image. Yeah, the same guy who asked me if I killed anybody. Oh, it's it's one, the same the same journalist had a, had a problem with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he just he asked about it, and his 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 angle of of uh, his 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 angle of attack was just it was a little a little aggressive, you know, it was a little a little kind of hostile. Um, <laughs> like you know, uh, I mean, he was not digging on it, right? And that was like sort of like really pretty obvious. And uh, and not only that, I I mean, I just didn't see it coming. Like the band didn't like it, and I was like, listen, this is the record title. This is it's lyrically consistent, and I had to explain to them, which I've never had to do. I had to explain to them. And they said, well, can't you make it more like the other covers? And I was like, that's reason enough to not have it be like the other covers, right? And so finally they kind of like, okay, okay. And then the woman taking the photo was, of course, my wife. And then she complained about it, you know? I was like, oh, <laughs> and I was like, what do they have in common? Well, they're all from Europe, you know? So, um, 
um, I just did. I just didn't see it coming. You know, I'm, I'm maybe too much of an American in that regard. I didn't see it being an issue, given the title. It was all consistent to me. It all made totally good sense, right? Yeah, in Europe, they have a different culture around guns over in Europe, and and the military too. Actually, the military uh, is in Europe is not regarded the same way as it is in the states. Where in the states, there's, you know, this kind of, um, you know, this PR angle surrounding joining the army and being in the military and in europe there, it's a way different point of view around that and also yeah. just guns are not everywhere like they are here well and also i mean i'm not gonna nate from converge he and i were talking about he he got the record and said he really liked it but then we were talking about it and he goes well this is a this is a um it's a pitfall right because on the one hand you don't want to fall into you know you're not an nra member those guys are out of their minds but at the same time you know um at the same time there's a midway and i think most of the people i know who are into firearms are are in that in that midway right so um um i mean and it's a nuanced thing that i that i mean i wasn't able to really explain to the journalist outside of saying look it's the title um, but the, the, the midway is, is what I kind of wrote about in the, in the sub stack, which is, you know, yeah, I, I wish that there was no private ownership of guns for all the rest of you. <laughs> for, for me, for, for me, I'm very quite fine having as many guns as I can get my hands on, you know, cause I don't trust you guys. Right. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's clear we've got a problem, but, uh, uh, solutions are in, in short supply and until, and, until we have a workable one, I mean, you know, the one point that the, the, the wife made, which I liked was that, you know, in 1939, Poland had a lot of guns. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, you know, but people in Ukraine there right now have a lot of guns, they didn't stop the tanks. Right. So. That's where we are with that, but um, but yeah, I wasn't gonna take any heat from this guy over. Because <laughs> you know? I'm looking at the record cover right now, and I'm like, okay, so what? You know, I mean, I I, I mean, yep. I I am going to see a band called Cannibal Corpse tonight who has way <laughs> oh, more yeah. way I'm more upset. offensive artwork and lyrics and all this other yeah. stuff. So I don't know. I guess people. Well, the, I guess the thing the thing is with you know, I mean, Cannibal Corpse. People might imagine that. It's like a it's like a, a Marvel Universe movie, right? This sure. is kind of fictional, but you know um, that cover is pretty actionable. I mean, it, it, I own I own the item photographed, so I could conceivably take it off that kitchen table, <laughs> walk out, and create a lot of chaos with it. But whatever, you know. I mean, that's it's a piece of artwork in this instance. It's a still life. Yeah, I mean, there's that. That's that's the the real operative right now is art, you know, and, and I don't, we don't have to get into a big discussion about all that stuff. Cause that's, I'm actually sick of hearing about free speech and like, you know, artistic yeah. freedom and censorship and all that great stuff. But really at the end of the day, you know, you're creating something to start a conversation with people. And I think that ideology has been lost on like the current society that we live in, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And also to me, like I said on, on the last show, I think that's a monkey show at this point in my mind. I'm I'm really I'm really looking. I'm trying to pay attention to the cats behind the curtains, you know, um, and, um, you know, I do another show. One of the guys was like saying, oh, you know, how can you? And I go, no, no, I'm not getting lost in the weeds. Do you, so do you realize? And I actually did the accounting on this in a really strange way. I, I go, I know five billionaires like five like people and, and three of those billionaires three of those billionaires if you walk if you were to get them on the phone or walk up to them right now and say eugene says hi they would go tell him i said hello oh wow. okay yeah. all right and so the dream i had as a young man when i grow up i'm gonna be a millionaire so that you can imagine at this point now given my location in silicon valley i know dozens dozens of multimillionaires that is people who have at ready grasp at least two million dollars um so so this is uh this is kind of a you know I, these people are not playing by the same kind we can argue about free speech and all that one of those billionaires was playing 
poker at uh, I'm not I'm not going to divulge too much but they had a poker game at their house and at that poker game was Bill Gates, Bill Clinton and Carlos Slim. This was not a meeting, this was not Davos. This cats just sitting around in their shorts and t-shirts playing poker. And now I don't know what the I don't know what the stakes were and I don't know what they talked about. But I guarantee you they weren't talking about free speech and Joe Rogan and any of that shit. That's monkey show stuff. That's for the cheap seats, right? <laughs> they're talking about destabilizing the Honduras. Or, yeah, or, exactly. You know, yeah, they're, it's, they're, it's all bread and circuits. Bread and exactly, circus. Exactly, you know? man. They're, they're laughing at us, man. They're worried about free speech and all that kind of bullshit. The Kardashians. That's for the cheap seats. They're, you know, Um and I keep saying, I was saying to Oxbow's drummer, I said, yeah, I, I, I don't believe. I, it's like, if you have a bit, like at one point, Bezos kind of crossed the line to being a trillionaire. And I said, you know, it's probably enough, right? I mean, what do you, what do you how much do you need? And, and Greg just looked at me and goes, are you kidding me? I go, no. He goes, it's never enough. I was like, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so you know, I look at all these things as being extended cash grabs. People going, oh, Russia invaded Ukraine. Some guy says, well, why don't you consider this? Why don't you consider black soil, right? Black soil is incredibly profitable, right? I mean, at one point, somebody was lecturing the Chinese uh, about uh, uh, anti-pollution efforts, and the Chinese were not hearing it. They say, you guys had 20 years to get ahead, burn up fossil fuels, and you want to slow us down? And somebody convinced the Chinese, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is your future lies in selling us uh, uh, pollution mediation uh, machinery. And they're like, oh, I mean, how do you think the Middle East became the Middle East? They didn't have the know-how to get that oil out of the ground. <laughs> American banks said, Standard Oil is going to tell you what, tell you what, we'll do all that stuff for you for free. And all you have to do is put the money in our banks. Cool. <laughs> cool. Creation of Saudi Arabia. I mean, I'm not, you know, at a certain point, you start to sound kind of nutty. But this is the point is that our concerns as dictated by CNN business. These are these are jokes. They're not real. You know, what's real is what those people are discussing when they're playing, when the billionaires are playing poker with each other. That's the real stuff, you know. Yeah, there is quite a bit of noise, man. And it, and it is it baffles me that more people don't see that, you know, like surrounding social media and all this other stuff. And, you know, that it, it's a distraction because right now, you know, we're, we, we could be entering, uh, you know, world war three yet. People are all more concerned about, you know, what Joe Rogan says on his podcast and things like that. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Right. 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 So, but you know, I mean, at this point, I remember um, some friends, it was a weird night. I, I, it was a triple date, a double blind date. Uh, and it's in the hardcore days. And we, me and these other uh, hardcore cats had, had met these girls at Mills College and we're going. And um, the girls said, well, we'll meet you on the corner. This is after the date. So we're going home. So everybody, these other guys were super excited. But I'm more situational awareness guy. And I noticed on Broadway in San Francisco, all these police cars driving down the wrong way street. And I go, this doesn't look good. <laughs> and I see these like Mexican cats like pointing. It's like there, there, there. And I'm calling my friends. I'm like, Jake, uh, John, Jake, John. And they're focused on the girls. They're talking, laughing. And I, I just stop walking. Right? It's like I tried to warn you guys. Something's going on. And um, the cop cars pulled to a screeching halt right as they turned the corner by Finocchio's in San Francisco, right, on Broadway. And they jump out and start beating the fuck out of them, right? Put them down the ground. And the Mexican cats go, you missed one. There's another one. There's another. And they're pointing at me. Oh, man. And I, and I look at the guys. They're like, come on. And then they finally realize, well, okay, they, they can let one go. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, I mean, what had happened, you know, is that – one guy had broken into a police paddy wagon that night and stole a couple of mag lights and had the police hats because he thought it was a big joke. And that, that's what they got him for. He also had a bunch of crystal meth on him, so he was fucked. The, one of the guys, the guy who set up the date, was actually an uh, Intel engineer, so he got out that night. And me, well, I didn't go to jail at all because so, I was just a passive participant. But, you know, being able to see trouble a little bit before it hits, staying ahead of disaster – 
has been my special magical skill, you know. <laughs> so the Bunwell record is out now. It's out. Yeah. And February, uh, February 18th it happened. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I uh, got a copy from uh, from the from Bandcamp there. So I have the digital and the physicals on the way. So, yeah. I uh, won't listen to physical gets here. So I'm, I'm in the dark about what it because I typically my thing is I'll sing and then I don't want to hear the record till it's done. You know, like like, you know, with Oxbow right now, we're we're doing the choir stuff this weekend. And so I'll, I'll participate and listen there. But once they start, like, I won't, I don't want to, I'll listen to it. If you need me to listen to a mix, I'll listen to a mix. But really, I want to be in the dark until, until we have something that was mastered. And then I'll listen to it. And in the case of Bunuel, I won't listen to it until I have the hard copy in my hand. I want to have, I want to have clean ears, so... It's definitely easy to get lost in the weeds on this stuff, man, when you're making records, that's for sure, you know. Well, guys, also, I'm looking forward to, right, like for the next record, and I want to be able to understand clearly what happened without, yeah, without thinking, oh, if we did this guitar overdub, I don't want to, no, no, I need to skate by all that and listen to it in its totality. So I'm waiting for Profound Lorecast for Chris to get me a, a physical copy, which should be here this week for me. Well, I was just going to lead up to that, is that, um, it's it's out on Profound Lore, which a lot of you guys that are listening are probably aware of, since they put out a lot of uh, death and black metal and extreme music and stuff. So you can find this in the in the Profound Lore catalog. So uh, which, yeah, which was weird. We, I mean, we approached Chris about it, and I mean, it was an uh, interesting thing because it was initially going to be the Oxbow record, and then Epicat came and said, "Actually, we want the Oxbow record." And we're like, "Yeah, well." You know, we're kind of men of our word. We don't want to fuck over Chris. And then, but then uh, we talked to Chris about it. He goes, no, that's a better place for Oxbow. We have anything else. And I was like, yeah, listen to Bunuel. He goes, ah, this could be just what I ordered. I'm trying to get like expand into like, kind of like how Relapse has got Relapse and then whatever the other one is called, uh, the, the one that's a little bit more experimental. Was, and that's what he was trying. And he goes, this could fit the bill. And I was like, yeah, man, listen to these other two records. And he was totally in, so I'm I'm glad to glad I'm glad it's him because I like the label, so I think it's a, it was a good choice. Yeah, that definitely. I mean, he put out the uh, photo crime record, which is like a very uh, very different, you know, than a lot of his catalog. It's you know, it's drum machine sort of dark dark wave kind of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah that's cool. And he's he's a good guy. I like him. So, so with those guys in Europe and you living on the West Coast in the States here. Uh, did you you recorded your stuff in the states, right? Is that how you guys worked it out? Yeah, I did it with Monty Valle, uh, who is uh, used to play bass in that band Swell. Uh, or if you really want to go back to the old days, played bass in that band Half Church. Uh, and, you know, um, former skateboarder, so, you know, Sunnyvale guy. Um, but he uh, he's got a real good sense. He's like the fifth Beatle, in both in terms of really pretty instrumental on helping out a lot of oxbow stuff and then really pretty instrumental on crafting my listening to me and you know crafting a vocal presence for for these records so every side project i have that you know where people are far flung at monty's taken care of and indeed we did two more songs after killers like us and monty was very specifically asked the guy at the studio ragna said uh, is this a continuation? Is this going to be a part of expanded? Is it going to be a new? And he goes, it's it's for the next thing. And so Monty said, okay, let, we're going to do a different kind of vocal soundscape. So I, it's, I, I would like to give Monty Monty full credit, you know. Speaking of vocals, when you you have a different vocal approach in this record slightly. I mean, this in in Bunuel versus say Oxbow, mm-hmm. but. They're both uh, very unique, in my opinion. And I remember back in, I think, I think I've been listening to the Oxbow since maybe 96. Mm-hmm. And uh, my friends in Boston turned me on to you guys and I, when I was living up there. And um, mm. out, you know, the music, great, exactly the kind of thing I like, you know, like big rock, noise, mm-hmm. cool, very, very competent playing, you know, very, like, mm-hmm. very good playing. And when the vocals came in, I was like, okay, that's a, that's a different way of doing things. <laughs> and I was like, huh, interesting, you know? So how, what, what's the story with your vocals, man? Cause like I, man, 
to put it bluntly, you know, it's just a different take on stuff. You know, how did that develop with you? Well, it, it, and, and I'm, gl- I'm glad you, you realized it because see, when I read the reviews, I can tell where people have like are tapping out to trying to figure it out or people who are paying attention. And, and, you know, um, fortunately, most of the reviews, people understand that, that what I'm doing with Boonwell is very different from what I'm doing with Oxbow. Right. Yeah. Um, and it may not seem it like if you listen to, she's a find off a narcotic story, you know, that, that doesn't fit any of the descriptors that what their people go to when they want to talk about the vocals that I'm doing. But um, what what I did with Bunuel and all three records, and to a certain extent uh, with, with Oxbow, is um, like I won't sing a word until I'm in the studio, right? Until I'm standing in front of a microphone. I don't, and people say, oh, so you're winging. Oh, I'm not winging it. I can tell I have a, a counter here on my on my player. It's like I'm like listening to one of these songs like 136 times, right? Like just listening, just li- like putting it on while I'm working. I'm writing. It's in the background on repeat, just that song again and again and again. And and then a weird thing will start to happen, man. Like there's a thing called. Um, uh, phosphine, I think is what it's called. And phosphine is when you close your eyes and you kind of rub your eyes at the images that you see on your, you know, on the inside of your eyeballs from your rub. That's, I think the name of that is phosphine, right? That's what it's, it's vocal stimuli, uh, visual stimuli where there's no real stimuli. I mean, it's not like I'm watching a cat or a tree. It's just me rubbing my fingers on my eyelids and it, leaving an impression. So there's a, there's an audio element of that too. And you listen to something 136 times, um, you'll start to hear the vocal, <laughs> right? Sure. Like you'll yeah. start to, you'll start to hear the vocal and, and, and that is a vocal I desire to, I desire to have, have, have come out of me. The one that I'm hearing after I listen to it all, all of those times, you know? Um, and it's tough. It's tough because most singers don't, don't do that because they're not encouraged to do it. Right. Like if you're, if you're going, if you're in a band and there's a rehearsal, the rest of the band will look at you and go, put your vocals in here. We need to know what, what vocals are going to be. If your answer is, I don't know, that's not really an acceptable answer for a lot of you. So you end up doing fundamentally scratch vocals. And scratch vocals may or may not be the what the real vocals, but by the time it comes time to record the song, and I'm basing this on what happened with me and Whipping Boy, you're stuck with it, right? And I don't ever want to create some art that I'm stuck with. I want it to be the art, right? So... Um, you know, and if they want to do, if they want to change it once it's it's recorded, that's fine. You know, cut it up, do whatever you want, tech thing you want to do with it, that's fine. But I gotta, I gotta get that first shot, um, and it's got to be a good one. And it's, and that's kind of what I'm doing uh, vocally. And so it's a vocal element. I mean, I can't even think of, you know, Matthew Barney had contacted me. Wow. Okay. And uh, and said uh, through his, you know, his office, and they said, hey, can you uh, sing? Like actually sing? Oh yeah, can I, I can actually sing, you know? And they like, can you sing like R and B? I said, well, I grew up listening to R and B. I'm guessing I could sing some version of R and B. Well, they they asked you that because you were black. They just figured yeah. that it would be, <laughs> you know, black guy. Can you sing R and B? Well, it turns out like he was filming something where they needed uh, a character like an R Kelly type character, right? And they they. The physicality they figured oh, i could play this person that would be perfect but they want to know if i could also pull off the singing portion i was like yeah fuck yeah i can and they go okay do it <laughs> i was like oh what do you mean do it they go record us something and then we'll you know we'll let you know and so i was like oh shit okay well what's the song i like and i picked uh you know between the sheets um by uh uh by uh, uh, the Isley Brothers, and uh, said, "Fuck, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill it," and sang it, and then sent it to them, and I never heard from them again. <laughs> 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 and I got have it around here. I've been toying with, uh, I've been toying with releasing it uh, <laughs> in some form or another, just because it cracks me up. But I didn't get the role. He also did not make the movie, so I don't feel bad about that, you know. Um, 
So, yeah. Uh, but that, I mean, vocally, it came from me what what my ears started to hear in those spots. I can't even think, I mean, you know, other bands have asked me to do stuff and I do it because it lets me use my voice in an interesting way. And so there's some projects where like they actually want me to, to really sing. And that, that was, that's kind of a nice change. If I, if I were to ask you to sing on a track, I don't think I would, I would just say, listen to, listen to this shit and then just do what you do. You know, I'm like, yeah, that that's why you ask someone to collaborate on a record, you know, like, all right, here's the lyrics. Here's like, I recorded a, a track, you know, for you. It's like mm-hmm. of right, me singing right. it. I want you to sing it like I'm singing it. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me, really. It doesn't yeah. make well, you know, some guys actually, and this is why I've gotten more picky about this. Some guys approached me and said, "Hey, we want you to sing," and I go, "Cool." And they said, "I like the music. I really liked it a lot." And they said, "We kind of envision you being a cross between Phil Anselmo <laughs> and um, and and Axl Rose." And I laughed, like just like you did. I was like, "Yeah, well, whatever." And so I sang it like me, yeah, <laughs> right? That's yeah. you came to me. Never heard from those guys again either. But I sang a whole fucking record, and I have eight songs, man. And so after that, I was like, "Nah, I'm not investing time in other guys' dreams to have them shit can me like that. That was stupid, you know." Um, so now I, you know, I have to create some kind of like, and also too, I've said, if there's not going to be a video, I don't want to do it. And I just say that because generationally speaking, you know, us old guys in bands, we're not, my kids, you know, my kids have never like said to me, Hey dad, I want you to listen to this song. You know, they always say to me, I want to show you this song. <laughs> oh yeah. No, that, that's the real thing, man, for sure. You know, and, and I guarantee you any Oxbow video online has had more views online than we've ever sold records. So I, you know, I'm looking to make an, if you're not doing a video, don't even ask me, you know, I'm glad to do a video for you. So, um, but, um, yeah, I know. Well, well there's actually, there's a guy in a UK band who I like, who, I, who was in that band, 1617, a longtime friend, Damian Bennett, and he said, uh, yeah, yeah, I said, is there a video? He said, yeah, 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 And I go, no, no, man, no, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's, honest to God, if there's no video, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I'm not doing more stuff without videos. I'm not, I'm not. And he goes, okay, okay, we'll work, we'll work on this. I go, okay, great, cool, you know. Yeah, I learned about that a while ago. Like, um, you, you know a lot from uh, from Dialect? He used to be yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so he's he's got a studio up in uh, in Harlem, and and a hundred percent of the people he works with these, these kids from like uptown up there, you know. And you know, I, I I come down to his spot and we we hang out and whatever, and you know, and um, and he was telling me he's like he's like it's all about videos and YouTube. No one ha- buys, you know, these kids don't buy records. They just yeah, man, put stuff on their phone, and that's that's what it's all about. And it's like yep. Yep. It's like you know, I'm, I've been trying to apply that too to what we do. You know, we have um, some material coming out later this this spring, yep. and it all have we all have little videos, even if it's like just a visualizer or something like that. And it doesn't even have to be based on what they're used to seeing. It doesn't even have to be expensive shit, man. You just it's got to you know it's got to, but it's got to have a visual component. And there's something else that as an old guy, I've had to shake my head. I mean, and Nico sort of helped with this with Oxbow. It's like. I'm sure you do it the same way. Uh, we're thinking about albums. We're thinking about records, right? I'm, in other words, I'm thinking about a discrete, I mean, to me, a musical unit is a fucking record, right? It has a beginning, a middle, and end. It, eight to 12 songs, that's the record. And that's old guy shit, right? Because nobody, that, that, that's not how people are embracing, people are singles. It's a singles universe because everybody's got the shuffle and they got the Spotify and the Apple music and it plays one song and then you bounces to another. And then, you know, I, look, my kids, when they say they, oh, they want to show me a song, they'll show me, you know how, how often it is that I'll actually get to the end of the song that they want to show me. Never. They never let me get to the end of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> they'll show me about 30 seconds of it. And then they're like, well, so you get the idea or they'll move on to something else. And and why is that? I, I think, well, you know, Apple started giving you 30 second segments. Pretty much everybody's like dialed in. I got it. I got it. I got where the song is going. I got to move on. You know, short attention span theater. So, yeah, it uh, if, you know, Oxbow, this loves holiday. We did 19 songs. And in my mind, you know, I wrote a record, record, but Nico was like, no, nah, 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 nah. while we got Joe, while we got the studio time, let's just keep going. And, and I mean, fundamentally he's right. You know, people will listen to discrete songs, 
right? Then it's only old people like us that are going to sit down and say, I want to listen to that record and we'll listen to it from beginning to end, which is still how I listen to music that my friends make, you know? They say, yeah. oh, I got that's how I listen to it, right? So, yeah, I'm the same way in that respect. I like to enjoy, you know, I'll, I'll put on, you know, Tales of Topographical Oceans or something. Yep, <laughs> no, yep, no. Yep. I mean, I'm, I'm half kidding about that. I just wanted to like, like roll out like one of the most dinosaur records you can imagine at this point. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I like to, I'll, I'll enjoy like an entire thing, but, but I do with the understanding that not everyone is like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it does. And, and, and so each song, it has to stand on its own, which is something that you can't, you can't say, well, this is a transitional song. It doesn't work. Each song stands on its own, but then also it also has to be representative of the whole, because what you're want, wanting people to do is pull a trigger on buying the next song and the next song until they've purchased all 12 or eight or whatever you've got. Right. So, so there's a new Oxbow record that's in the works, right? You were saying yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, this is called Love's Holiday, and that should be that's it. So Bunuel is uh, twenty twenty two with Killers Like Us, and Oxbow is twenty twenty three with um, you know uh, Love's Holiday. So I just want to pivot real quick over to the podcast that you do, uh, the, you know, the Show Stomper, and um, some people that listen to this are into MMA and combat sports and things like that, and um, that show is barely an MMA show. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is a good which is a good thing because yeah. I don't I don't really listen to it. I only listen to one other podcast that do, I used to listen to all these like martial arts podcasts, you know, fighting yeah. and all that. I listened yeah. to Show Stomper and I listened to Morning Combat, the um the Luke Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways there are similarities between your your two shows because you're, you're both shows are speaking very much about like culture and like personal stuff and all that, yep. you know, and, and that's what I enjoy the most. I, it's almost like, I, I actually don't even, I, I don't watch every fight anymore, man. I used to watch no. every event. Oh, you can't. It's, it's, yeah. And uh, yeah, we talk about that. You just can't, you know, I, I find, mean, for, I'm, many, I'm sorry, many reasons, for many reasons you can't, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree with you about. I I have been experiencing a lot of disillusionment in general with um just with yeah. MMA in general, and yeah. I find myself watching uh the one Muay Thai fights more than anything else. Yep. Just because at yep. the gym we're playing those all the time, and at home I'm watching you know fights yep. that that happen at like seven o'clock in the morning. That but I'll watch them later on in the day and that kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, that's um. Yeah, it's like a commentary on just culture and, you know, philosophy. You talk about, like, you know, literature and all this other stuff. And I, I really appreciate the show. Well, yeah, this last week, the thing we did, you know, the meditation on mercy, where, I mean, <laughs> you know, I it's... Um, I don't know, it's something, something that I, uh, I think about a lot, these fuzzy words that, like, at one point, a friend of mine said to me, well, you know, you have to, you know, it's a guy's religion, you have to respect it. And I go, why? Why? Why Why, why must I do anything? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know, okay, brush your teeth. Why? Well, if you don't, your teeth will rot out of your head and you'll have, you know, early life, your, your biome will be destroyed. Okay, th those are reasons. Those are real reasons. What are the reasons that I have to respect the guy's religion? Well, it'll if you don't, it'll be like disrespectful. Like, what the fuck is what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, I don't look. I don't respect Parcheesi. I like Parcheesi, but I don't respect it. It's a game. It's a you know, it's got no reality to it. So he he we, he ended up just kind of shrugging and say, "Well, you're going to hurt somebody's feelings." I go, "Yeah, you know, that's why we have them so they can get hurt, <laughs> right? Yeah, you've got to get beyond some of this stuff." So. The, the meditation on mercy was 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 really compelling, especially as I just watched a movie where they were saying, you know, you judge a man's power by how merciful, merciful, uh, merciful he is. I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe. I mean, I, I I'm I'm going to have to go with the bad brains on that, which was, you know, and in the end, you just may see that what you receive is what you gave to me, and this is very specifically about the Substack I just written. Where I said I'm not going to write about Ozzy again until their indictments, you know, I give them a little space, but you know, their their grift is so audacious that what happened last week just begged to be addressed, and I was like, you know, I had this battle in myself. Maybe I should just let him go. Just and I was like, nah, 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 nah. 
mercy is for suckers. <laughs> you <know? laughs> you, you got to get what's coming to you here. I sometimes think about all these little rules and musings that everyone has. And, uh, you know, and I, I fall prey to all these abstractions too. But then there are times, like usually at like 3 o'clock in the morning when I wake up in the middle of the night and I think about how we shouldn't even fucking exist, man. You know, we're yeah. floating in this endless black void of nothingness and we have this tiny speck of reality that we're living in. And it's like, yep. all this shit's made up, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, we just say some shit to make it through the day, but reality, I mean, there's a great thing that Evander Holyfield said to me, which, uh, which I like. Um, <laughs> and, he said, you know, when you're poor, I mean, he tied it into, you know, classism in a weird way. He said, when you're poor, you know, you could walk around, you could take you could take a poop in the ground, nobody cares. <laughs> you know, you could take a hole, take a poop in the ground, and nobody cares. And I was like, yeah, that's all of this. All of this is like a weird fantasy, you know. It's, uh, we're hurtling on this rock through the deep space, and I... Man, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm like, I have this thing called QTAT that I got from uh, Alan, uh, Al Goldstein at Screw Magazine when we, we interviewed him at one point. And it was like, quick time across town. As long as it doesn't make, keep, keep me from making quick time across town, God love you. Believe whatever you want. <laughs> you know? But if it keeps me from making quick time across town, then I gotta, I gotta like say, man, you suck. So, anyway. Well, thanks for your time, Eugene. Once again, it's always uh, great catching up with you, man. And, um, you know, before we sign off, can you just, uh, you know, let everyone know where they can check out, you know, the Substack, the podcast, st news about Bunuel and Oxbow and all this other stuff. All right. The Substack, that's important. So that's yeah, uh, that's very important. Yeah, it's called it's called Look What You Made Me Do. But you can find it at Eugene S. Robinson dot Substack dot com. That's S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. Uh, uh, Bunuel is on Facebook as well as Bandcamp, but you can just get it most easily through Profound Lore. Um, or a lot of this stuff I just tweet out on the regular. So if the, the Twitter machine is part of your reality, it's at Eugene S. Robinson uh, on Twitter. Uh, Mr. Sleep, the number three um, for for Instagram, and uh, and the Oxbow same facebook uh can reliably be found there so that's how to that's how to follow check out shit so awesome thanks a lot and uh thanks for listening everyone take care Zipper in front of